0: Hey there, I'm Nick Hoffman. I'm the host of Nick's Wild Ride on Outdoor Channel. I'm also a fiddle player. I'm a singer. I'm a pilot. You might not be all of those things, but we have one thing in common. We are both listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Here we go. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors Podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Shields Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Anderson, and today we have with us Nick Hoffman of the award-winning outdoor channel show, Nick's Wild Ride. I'll call it a minor miracle that we're able to track nick down for an episode here in the fall but uh you know we're going to talk a little bit about his show some hunting strategies you can use this fall and uh you know a little bit of his relationship with huntworth camo nick how you doing today
0: i'm great how are you man
1: you know i am doing spectacular you know i uh I'm glad we're here doing this, doing this episode, but I'm going to be really excited that, uh, you know, going to be headed to the badlands doing a little bit of hunting after this. So, you know, it's a, it's a solid afternoon.
0: I know that feeling. You're, you, you you are all packed up. Your stuff is waiting in the truck and it's calling your name and it's like you're watching the clock going. So, uh, how soon can I get out of here and go hunt? I love it. That's, it's that time of year, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. But you know, the time's going to fly by a little faster here since I just get to talk about hunting anyways.
0: <laughs> I love it. It's funny because I'm originally from Minnesota and I, um, you know, Growing up there, just watching the leaves turn and just kind of counting down the days till it's time to to get in the woods, um, you know that's one of my favorite rites of passage and my favorite times of year. But I've lived in Tennessee now. I live in Nashville. I've been down here a long time for my music career, and the you know there's a lot of stuff about the South I like, and there's a lot of things about Minnesota I miss. But one of the things that I love about living down here is that the hunt season for deer starts like. Like the first week of September, and it's legit, and it goes nonstop until till February down here, and it, I mean, so you can be hunting deer from January September third in Kentucky until you know February first or somewhere in that in that area. So it, you know, it's crazy. So we're long, we're headlong into it here, and I love it.
1: You know, yeah, absolutely. So can you can you tell us a little bit about like the similarities and the differences between? hunting up in the you know the northern states like Minnesota versus down in Tennessee
0: Sure I mean it's you know especially when it comes to whitetails whitetails are whitetails right I mean they're 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 hunted in a lot of the same ways um one of the big differences is uh, some states allow baiting down here um kind of like they do in Wisconsin to well no I guess not anymore right but uh they you know they used to and uh, that's a pretty common practice down here. And that kind of blew my mind when I first came down here, I was like, what do you mean you just hunt over a corn pile? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that makes no sense to me. Cause it's just not the way that I grew up and the way that things were. So that's one difference. Um, the deer are a little bit different as, um, as far as body size. I mean, you know, people go to the Midwest, they go to Iowa, they go to North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin to shoot those, those big deer, those big corn fed, you know, monsters and yeah, we shoot some big antler deer down here, but you know, it's a, I think it's almost a different strain of white tail down here. They're a little bit smaller in the body. And the part of that has to do with the diet. You know, we just don't have acres and, you know, miles and miles and miles of row crop around here in certain areas we do, but not the kind of way we do in, in Minnesota.
1: Yeah. You, you get know? a little more, bit more of that big woods hunting, right?
0: Yeah. And we also get, here it's 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 thick hollers and stuff uh we call them hollers for all you midwestern people those are just basically deep river beds you know what i mean but mm-hmm. uh it's like lots of hills lots of really thick um cover and the reason for that is that the growing season is so much longer here so we get just this thick kind of almost jungle like Uh, kind of riverbeds and and the haulers like I say and so the terrain's a little bit different we don't necessarily always have these giant open oak flats and hardwoods that I kind of grew up with and there's definitely a lot of that here but man when you start getting into like East Tennessee and stuff I hunted elk out there um, a couple years ago and it felt like I was hunting in the jungle You know, I was hunting elk in the jungle out there and and so uh, yeah that's another difference too Um, but in the end deer hunt deer hunting, hunt and I'll take it anywhere I can get it. You know yeah. what I
1: mean? Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent on that. So let's, uh, let's talk about your show a little bit. You know, you, you do things a little bit differently than a lot of people out there. Can you just kind of touch on like your goal of the show and in sort of what you're trying to accomplish with it?
0: Sure. I mean, I think for, to understand me with, and, and what I do in my TV show you have to understand a little bit more about who I am, which is a, I'm a country music artist first. I'm a fiddle player. Uh, I'm a singer. And I've spent most of my life down here um, in Nashville. I've been playing music my whole life, but my entire adult life I've been in Nashville playing music with some of the you know biggest names in, in country music and then ended up getting my own record deal and having my own songs on the radio. And so um, the the I tell you all that to tell you that what my connection is to, to outdoor TV, because as I was out on the road playing, you know, music and touring, my pastime was watching hunting DVDs and, and turning on the outdoor channel. And, and so, you know, there were certain kinds of people that were on TV that I just looked at, like they were celebrities, you know? And meanwhile, those same people would end up showing up backstage at one of our concerts and they'd look at us as celebrities, you know? So I started meeting some of these outdoor quote-unquote celebrities and uh people like um phil phillips was one of the first people from setlock and then uh i met lee and tiffany lakoski at a really uh w- when they were first getting going with their show getting close uh, don and candy Kisky were another one you know like i started meeting some of these people and they started inviting me to come and be a host uh, uh, a guest on their show so i'm like heck yeah i want to come here <laughs> yeah. of course i do you know what i mean And, and so bit by bit, I started doing more and more of that. And I started meeting more and more people in the, in the industry. And I got to be really good friends with a guy named Mark Baird, who is, was a producer for, uh, and still is for some of the best outdoor TV shows out there. And what happened was one day we were sitting talking about, um, you know, outdoor TV and he's like, Hey, you know, you know, we were kind of complaining, yeah, there's some stuff out there we don't like. We don't like this. And we don't like that. We like this. We don't like that. And he was kind of like, OK, smarty pants, if you had a TV show, what would you do? And I said, oh, that's simple. I love Anthony Bourdain. I love to travel. I like to go find the local burger, the local bar. The, I love to find a good dive bar. You know, I, I like to go to a museum. I want to know what makes a place tick. And whenever I would go hunt somewhere, that's what I would do. I would go find a local burger. You know the best burger in town and so he's like i said that's what i'd do i'd have a hunting show that was kind of like an anthony bourdain style hunting show and he's like that's a pretty good idea and 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 so then a guy named dave watson who uh you know is an industry legend i told him about it and he's like yeah that's that's a cool idea we should we should develop that so the three of us kind of developed this idea for this thing that became nick's wild ride and 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 uh i did the first season of it and it was uh, you know, one of the best rated new shows that the, the outdoor channel had had in a long time. And, and next thing I know, I went from country music artist to country music artist and, and TV host, you know, and, and I've si- systematically in seven seasons now, just been checking off my bucket list. I just go, I've been on 80 plus trips all over the world uh, from everywhere, from Africa to Kyrgyzstan to Wisconsin and everywhere in between. And, like I said, 80 plus hunts in seven years and just checking off my bucket list and living out my wildest dreams. You know, all you're doing is just watching me. If you watch my show, all you're doing is just watching me just going and doing what I do anyway. I go to a place to hunt and then explore local history and food and culture and music. and And man, life is good, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the title of your show is just so fitting, Wild Ride, you know, how it came about (laughs) and what you're doing right now, just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. It's just, it's super cool. And, and, you know, it's cool to see everything around the surroundings, you know, like there's so many shows out there that are like, okay, I'm going, I'm hunting this spot and we're going to talk about our hunt story. But like, to be able to embrace the culture and and the differences, it's just, it's fascinating and captivating.
0: Well, I feel the same way. So, like I said, when I go somewhere to hunt, you're in a new place, right? It doesn't matter if you're going to California or if you're going to Nebraska or if you're going to Minnesota or if you're going to New York or if you're going overseas somewhere, you're going somewhere new usually, right? And so there's more there than just the hunting. And the hunting for me is is it's so much – hunting in general is about so much more than just killing. It's about – it's about, you know – experiencing the people and the people in camp and, uh, and experiencing the local area and, well, Hey, you know, you're talking to your guide. What's the story about this place? Like, how, how did, how did, you know, this town come to be, or what about your family or, Hey, where's the best dive bar in town? Let's go have a cold beer. I mean, those are things that I do anyway, you know? And I think that those are the things that make a place and a hunt interesting. And I, like I said, hunting to me is about so much more than killing. It's about, it's about tradition and and about food, and about cold beer and friends and camaraderie and and all those things. That's that's what the outdoors is to me. It's it's about so much more than pulling the trigger. Don't get me wrong, I love letting an arrow fly or pulling the trigger, but to me it's 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 a way bigger, more spiritual thing than that.
1: Mm -hmm, absolutely you know i think that's what kind of gets lost in social media nowadays everyone's just posting a picture of their deer or their fish but it's like there's so much more to it being an outdoorsman just embracing the culture and the experience
0: and all that absolutely Mm -hmm, Yeah, and i love it i love it and so when you tune in our uh, my show that's 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 what you're seeing it's it's um it's like a it's like a hunt slash history lesson slash you know, uh, culture experience. And then usually I'm doing something stupid. You know, (laughs) I end up doing something that dumb and making some sort of mistake. And, you know, if I make a mistake, you're going to see it. If I, if I, you know, uh, do something stupid, you're going to see it. And so every once in a while I have a couple of cool triumphant moments too, but you know, usually I'm just making an ass out of myself (laughs) (laughs) and pretty much it.
1: Oh, love it. So, I mean, I'm sure you've had a you know plenty of adventures is there one certain one that sticks out in your mind your most memorable experience
0: as far as hunting goes
1: yeah just so far filming this show like what's been your most memorable experience
0: Man, that is such a tough one and i get asked it a lot um because the the difference between me and say maybe even lee and tiff's show or something like that is yeah lee goes around and hunts some pretty some exotic north american stuff um, and, but for the most part, they're shooting a lot, of a lot of deer, a lot of elk, you know, and, and I, I love that stuff, but and my first deer and my biggest deer and my first elk and my biggest elk, those are, those are such special moments. But I think for me, compared to some of these other shows, like I was talking about, my most special moments are, are some of the international ones because They're eye opening and they're mind blowing. I mean, my first time in Africa, for example, was a life changing experience. It wasn't just an amazing hunt, it was a life changing experience because I saw true poverty for the first time in my life. You know, I saw people living in mud and dung huts. You know, I saw, you know, a woman cry literally tears in her eyes over over receiving a hunk of Cape Buffalo stomach lining. She was so excited about that stomach lining to go home and make food with it that she had tears in her eyes. I can't imagine what that feels like to live like that. And yet these people, they're some of the happiest people i would ever seen in my life. So they have nothing and yet they're so happy. And that was life-changing for me because it made me realize that maybe I need to simplify my life a little bit. Maybe I don't need the new car or the big house to, to, to be happy. Maybe they, maybe they're onto something that, that, that I don't know about, you know? So I've had a couple of experiences like that, that were life-changing. But with that said, honestly, I don't think there's anything for me in my hunting experience that probably tops that very first time that I let an arrow fly at a big buck, you know, or that very first time that a, an elk came bugling in, you know, no matter how far I go and how many cool hunts I go do, there's something about elk and and deer that will forever have my heart. That and a good dog with a good pheasant. I love that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I love ducks. I love waterfowl. I love dogs, but man, when it's all said and done elk and deer, you know what I
1: mean? It's <laughs> just, I was Still, coming back to place. You can take, you can take the boy out heart. of Minnesota,
0: but you can't take the Minnesota out of the boy. You know what I mean?
1: Oh yeah. Absolutely love it. So, um, how does hunting all over the world, you know, for a variety of different animals help you when you're coming back to North America and targeting some of the more common species like deer and elk?
0: I, that's a really good question that I don't know if I've ever been asked, uh, exactly like that. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is um, you really start to pay attention to the body language of animals better and more acutely when you see lots of different kinds of animals. So, you know... We all get to the point, you know, if you hunt deer long enough, you start to know that they're going to flicker that tail a certain way and you know they're about to walk or you know they're about to stop. You start to see that body language and that's really helpful. That kind of experience is really helpful in hunting because it it teaches you when you can move, teaches you when you can pull your bow back. It teaches you, you know, those things that you can only do through experience. And I've been almost like in a pressure cooker because I, I watch all these other animals and these different species of animals over the last seven or eight years, and I feel like I've 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 learned a lot about animal behavior and body language, and that stuff translates directly into being a better hunter here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing. Um, I think that I've also learned a lot about what I'm capable of because um, I realize I've pushed myself to the absolute extreme on a few of these hunts. And it's kind of like seal training or something like that. Not that I would compare myself to a Navy seal by any means, but like I've had, I've pushed myself to the absolute brink physically, mentally, emotionally on a few of these hunts. And, um, and it's made me realize that I'm way tougher than I ever thought I was. And that means that when I'm sitting in a stand and my feet start to go numb, I'm like, you got this you can sit when I used to maybe climb down cause I would wuss out. I, I, I just, I, I, know I can handle more, you know? Yeah. So I'll sit, I'll sit longer. I'm more patient. You know, uh, I, I pay more attention to animal body language. I've just learned a lot from in that way. And I, I think that, like I said, I've been in a pressure cooker. I've been, I had the great fortune of going out and hunting for a living. And so I do it a lot more than most people. So by nature, I've just gotten to have a, a huge amount of experience and man, I don't take that for granted. I mean, I'm living my wildest dreams out right now, you know? Yeah. Love it. I don't know if that actually, I don't know if that actually answered the question or not, but it that's, that's what I'm giving you. There you go.
1: You know what? <laughs> I'll take that. And you know, I would say it did answer my question, you know, just the, you know, looking at the body language and things like that. So um, what are some, What are some tips you have for, for people that are going out hunting this fall?
0: I'll tell you the one, number one thing that, that I have really started to, I'll go like to an SCI uh, banquet and I'll talk and, be like a keynote speaker or whatever, which I still can't believe that people want to hear me talk. It's ridiculous. But I feel like people are going to figure out that I'm not as interesting as they think I am. You know what I mean? And and so I'll go there and I'll talk. And the number one thing I I, I, I talk about now is about gratitude. Um, And I know that might sound silly, but the number one tip I can give to people right now is when you're sitting in the stand, um, you probably already have read all the books and you've, and you've, or you've hunted your whole life or you've studied it, studied it, studied it. Mm -hmm. So you probably got the skills you need, but the one thing you're probably lacking in is realizing how lucky you are to be able to do what you do. Because the second you leave this country and you go to another country, it puts into perspective just how lucky we are to have the public ground that we have, the, the right to, to hunt, you know, for these long seasons and to buy tags over the counter. And man, everywhere else in the world, that doesn't exist for the most part. It, you don't get to hunt on public ground. It, the only people that get to hunt in, in overseas and in Europe for the most part are the very affluent people who can afford large hunks of private ground. And that's a very small percentage of people in Europe. And so the I sit in a stand here on my little piece of property that I have And I just get up there and I'm just grateful for it. I'm like, man, we are lucky. And it's not that I'm preaching to anybody. I just say the number one tip I can give you is get up in that stand and say a big prayer if you're religious or just say a big thank you to Mother Nature. Because, man, we are lucky to be able to do this. And most people around the world don't have this opportunity.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that answer. And it's not what I expected.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this year when you're up there. And you're, or if you're out and you're in the stand or you're in the duck blind or you're out there walking around for pheasants or whatever your floats your boat, um, just be grateful for it. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing, not a right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Love that answer. So how about some common mistakes? What do you think are some of the most common mistakes that
0: people have when <laughs> they go out into the woods? That's a great question, too. I can tell you that some of the common mistakes I make. Um, I often forget how loud my own speaking voice is, and also that of other people. So, you know, we get back to the truck, or we're at the truck, and, you know, we might only be quarter of a mile away from our spot. And, you know, we're talking and animals are listening. Anybody who says that they're not is crazy, and I forget it. I talk too loud, and the way I know that is you know, you you'll be on an elk hunt or you're up there spotting at a spot, and you decide you got to go take a poop or something like that, so you go walking or walking away, and you walk a quarter of a mile away, and you can hear people. You can hear their conversation clear as day. You know what I mean? There's no way that doesn't affect the animals that i just i I, if if you if you believe otherwise that's fine but i can't believe i think the first thing you got to do is the old fred bear thing sit down and shut up you know what i mean stop Mm -hmm. moving stop making noise stop talking just shut up and hunt you know what i mean and i'm guilty of it so i'm not i'm not talking about other people i've seen other people do it but i do it a lot i catch myself I'm a social guy. I catch myself talking, talking too loud. It starts off quiet. It gets louder and louder and louder. And then you wonder why, you know, you wonder why you're not seeing deer. Or you wonder this or that. The old Fred Bear thing. It's less, you know, it's the number one thing you can do is sit down and shut up.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. I, I rack my brain on that sort of stuff all the time, you know, especially like walking into the stand and things like that. I, I think about, like, man, I, I'm into the stand. I'm after this target buck. What are the odds that he literally watched me walk in, or he heard all
0: that stuff? And like the, the games odds are very good. Up.
1: <laughs> the, I, the odds are probably a lot higher than I wish to imagine.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. The other, the other mistake I see a lot that I've worked hard on, and I, I go to a lot of different, you know, outfitters as well, right? So I see like other clients doing stuff. We'll go out to the range and watch people shoot um and this goes from bow hunting rifle shooting rifle shooting a shotgun the number one mistake i see in people shooting is not following through on their shot um so you know you you shoot a bow and you immediately grab your bow and and move it down you know you don't follow through you shoot a rifle and you pull the trigger you jerk the trigger and then you immediately look up from the scope um in, in a shotgun how many times and we've all done and how many times have you see somebody that forgot to put a, a round in their gun in a shotgun and they're, they're, they're going up, you know, swinging around on a pheasant or a duck. And then they go to pull the trigger and they flinch and they pull, jerk and they, you know, and they, and they stop moving. You know, you have to squeeze that shot off and keep moving or you're going to miss. You're going to shoot behind. Follow through is the number one skill shooting wise that, that I see m- most people don't do on. Un- a good enough job at and 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 i work really hard on that myself because just recently a couple weeks ago i was up in canada shooting sandhill cranes and i did that same thing i forgot to load my gun and i i came up and and uh went to shoot and i caught myself stopping and flinching and and you know making this big exaggerated trigger pull and you know i'm like damn it here i am i need to practice what i preach a little better you know what i mean (laughs) because it's true
1: so if you, if you realize you have those sort of things, like, you know, you, you're flinching or you have like mm-hmm. target panic with your bow, what are some sort of like mental processes or ways that you can combat that?
0: Well, for, for the, um, the rifle thing, uh, a lot of people don't do this and the great shooters I know, they all do it and that's, they dry fire their gun often, you know, and you need to know what your trigger feels like but the other thing you need to do is you look through a scope and you and you put your you you know you get your your crosshairs on a on a you know on a bullseye and you dry fire your gun and you see if 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 you move if your target if you if you get done shooting your gun and you're three inches to the right you're doing something wrong and you're it might be in the way you're holding the gun or the way you're manipulating it with your hand or whatever your gun should be just almost exactly where it was right before the trigger went off as after. And if you don't, if that's not happening, you're doing something wrong. Um, the same thing goes for a shotgun, you know, you can, you can kind of simulate and dry fire and, and imagine yourself, um, you know, squeezing that shot off and following through. Um, you can't do that as much with your bow. Obviously, you can't dry fire your bow.
1: yeah, don't recommend can, that.
0: <laughs> but what you but what you can do with your bow, and this is what I do is sometimes don't worry about aiming. You know, like if you're out there practicing, just make sure your bow's gonna hit the target and then do nothing but just focus on on squeezing it off, letting your bow surprise you, and then following through. and and if you do that, you know, two or three shots, Uh, every time you practice, you're going to become better. That's Mm -hmm. just it. Your groups are going to shrink and you're going to get better. And, and those are things that that, that's not expert advice that I made up. Those, those are things that people I really respect told me. So I'm not saying anything that is like, one thing you'll never find with me is I'm no expert, man you know what I mean I am I, I'm just a dude out there trying to be the best hunter I can but I do pay attention to the experts yeah <laughs> and absolutely I, you know and and those are things that have helped me a lot for sure mm-hmm.
1: there's always something to learn and that you know that makes a lot of sense too it's just you become a little bit more confident in your shot and, and it's really all about confidence at that point if you if you're drawn sure. back and you and you feel really good and you you know you're doing all the right things you're just going to have better groups and you're gonna hit that animal where you want and everything's gonna work out better for you
0: another one for bow hunting that always really made a lot of sense to me and and i know has has been effective for me is once you know you've got your bow dialed and it's shooting right shoot don't don't go out there and shoot the 20 yard pin over and over and over again go out there and shoot 60 and 80 yards and see if you can get a four or five inch group doing that because let me tell you when you go back to 20 it literally feels like like you're shooting five inches it's yeah. it's it yeah and your groups immediately shrink if you're able to to have the kind of follow-through and form that you can have a nice group at 60 20 is a gimme Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean. Absolutely. You and, get to a and, point
1: where you and, like don't even want to shoot because you're worried you're going to split your arrow or something. Yeah, like that. yeah,
0: and that's a great thing, and 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 that's a confidence building thing because your average deer shots twenty thirty yards, right? So, but if you just practice for that, um, you know, you're not necessarily you're. Uh, I had a a, a really uh, a guy that I really respect. It was a former Navy. I um, mean, I'm sorry, Army sniper, and he told me. He said. Um, shooting short range for a rifle that'd be like a hundred yards doesn't teach you anything. All your flaws get exposed when you go further out. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. If you're gripping your bow wrong, it's going to show itself at 80 yards, but it won't show itself at 20 as much, you know? And so you start learning about the kind of shooter you are when you go further out. And then when you go back and do those short shots, it makes it a lot easier.
1: You know, mm-hmm. makes a ton of sense. So I realize I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but like, I'm I love just, it. I'm I'm love just it. glad I track you down. So I just have all these random questions that I'm asking. <laughs> and, you know, one that's kind of stuck with me is uh, like, you know, talking to your Fredbear and sit down and shut up. Um, and I, I've asked this question. And by the way, few, I don't know
0: for sure that's the exact quote, but it's something like that. It's, it's you know what something I mean?
1: along those lines. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I don't think you're going to end up getting sued for like copyright or anything like that. <laughs> so it'll probably be okay. But, um, it, it's about entry and exit routes. You know, I've asked this question to yeah. quite a few different people on this podcast and everyone kind of has a similar and yet different perspective. And some are like very different. So I'm curious to, to know your strategy and your logic behind entry and exit routes in the white tail woods?
0: Well, I think that the first thing that I see from a lot of, a lot of people, and I hear it, in fact, one of my best hunting buddies, man, he says this all the time and it drives me nuts. Oh, the deer don't care about that. Like, I hear that way more often than you, than you might think. And, and I hear it, um, I hear it from, guides and outfitters too sometimes. Oh, you know, they don't care about that. They're used to trucks. They're they you know, they're used to people. They they you know, th- these things. Man, the 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 great is especially when it comes to whitetails, right? Like which is what we're talking about right now. The 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 people that shoot consistently. Yeah, everybody every once in a while. A blind squirrel finds a nut and you can you can, a big buck can trip up and you can kill it. But the dudes and the women that shoot big deer every year, no matter what. And we all know him, right? We got somebody in our little town and this, this guy, for whatever reason, always kills a giant. It's because he's paying attention to all those little things that the rest of us don't take the time to do. And I can tell you this, the one guy that I'm talking about in particular that I'm thinking of in particular that I know down here that shoots a big deer every year when nobody else does, he literally for certain bucks at certain times he cuts entry and exit routes and rakes the leaves out of them. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, man, his, 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 especially his morning stands where he's got, he's got a couple of spots where he, he crawls up into a stand right on the edge of a food plot that probably has deer in it. And the way he's able to do that in the morning and not bust the deer out is he sneaks in like a ninja on these pre raked trails. And I can tell you, I ain't got the patience for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to that extreme, but look, he's killing big deer when I'm not. And that, that stuff tells me that that stuff matters. Of course it matters. How can it not? Those big bucks get big for a reason. You know what I mean? Cause they're, they they're one step ahead of us. And so why not stack every, everything in your corner that you can, you know, um, so I think that stuff makes a huge difference. And and so do I have a particular strategy? Um, no, but I can tell you that, um, every, every big deer that I've ever killed on our place and at other places, most of it didn't happen without a strategy. And usually there's an entry and an exit strategy for that buck. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, man, absolutely. and, and the one, you know, almost every big deer that I've ever targeted and got after and ended up killing, there's been a, pretty pretty concerted strategy to make it happen and entry and exit is actually is definitely a huge part of it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i i think about you know a lot of a lot of deer that i've shot and a lot of deer that you know like i've had a pattern on and never seen and you know every one of them is different but you know you you have to really finesse it there there's just they really don't tolerate a lot you know some deer will tolerate more than others the right word yeah Cause like, I, you know, I, the first one that comes to mind is like the first velvet buck I ever shot in North Dakota. Like I had the time to go out and sit with, a you know, had cameras out, located one and had time to sit out with a spotting scope and watch this thing. And then it's like, okay, he's, he's betting in this CRP field and specifically this little slew pocket and he's walking this edge and then he's getting to my stand. And that one, I was like, God, this is just the best entry and exit route ever because like there is no way this deer can see me go in because I'm on the other side of mm-hmm. this tree roll and I can sneak in and he's like betting at least a thousand yards away. And he's coming to yep. this place every night. So it's like that you just wait for the right wind. But you know, there's other spots where it's like, man, he could be betting here, he could be betting there. It's just it gets difficult.
0: I think the wind thing is is it is so tempting and I've done it. And I have another good buddy that is in particular that he kind of hunts the same stand no matter what. And yes, he definitely, definitely kills big deer, but sometimes those deer just disappear too. And he's like, I don't know what happened to my big buck. I mean, he was coming in every day and then what's, well, I, I can almost guarantee you that it's because you hunted that stand in a wind that, you know, he absolutely smelled you. You never saw him and he's gone for a couple of days or a week or forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that it's that attention to detail is the difference. Like I was saying, between the people that consistently kill big deer and the people that every once in a while lock into one. Yeah, you know?
1: absolutely. And there's, there's one other deer in particular, like I, before I took this job at Shields, I actually worked as, as a hunting guide for a little bit out, out in North Dakota and for whitetail. And there was this one buck that we were targeting late season. He was showing up on this food plot. And I, would, I was like, all right, I'm going to get smarter than him. Like they see a lot of equipment. Like I'm going to I'm going to drive this client in right to the blind, you know, like in North Dakota, you can bait. So it's, it's like I'll I'll, you know, throw a little corn out, make a little noise. So you think, oh, I got, you know, I got a new a new snack out and was like, <laughs> OK, this is going to work because he's not going to, see you know, see him walking in hear him all that stuff and never got that buck. And it was like, it was like three times I, I would try this and fail. And then finally I had, I had one person like, okay, we're going to go in the middle of the day and you're going to walk this time. Like it's kind of a trek in there. So you got to be okay with this, mm-hmm. but like, let's try this. Let's try a little something different. And and sure enough, he ended up getting them that day. He went, he came out like 45 minutes before dark. And it was like, I thought I was yeah. smarter than that deer, but no, he had me pegged that whole time. But you know, let's, let's try something a little different, you know?
0: Yep. And and I've I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen um, uh, at, in with not just deer. I mean, other animals in other places in other countries, um, you know, and I think it goes back to that thing. That first thing I said, the idea that, oh, they don't care about that as this blanket statement. You know, it's like like the, the, the argument. I had this argument the other day of whether or not you can pee off your stand and, and people. And the deer care, you know, there's camps. Some, some guys think that they can just pee off their stand and the deer don't care. And there's other people that, that are sure that that's the, 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 the the biggest sin in the world. Right. (laughs) I don't know what the answer is, but I'm not going to try it because I'm not going to sit here and go, Oh, they don't care. How do I know what they care about? You know what I mean? I know what I, I know what I think they care and what they don't, but I, I I say, why leave anything to chance? Mm -hmm. Why? If it, if it, if. If it takes five more minutes to take a shower before you go to the woods, why not do it? If it takes, if you got to go all summer long, I mean all winter long and not wear scented deodorant so that maybe you have an extra edge, why not do that? You know, if, if you got to cut, cut, literally cut lanes to get in and out uh, and rake them, why not do that? You know what I mean? It's just, that's the way I look at it. If you want to go big or go home. You know what yeah. I mean? That's what I say. that's
1: it, a solid <laughs> perspective to have. So.
0: And trust me, I'm guilty. I get lazy. I've done some lazy, lazy stuff. And I've gotten lucky every once in a while. But, um, you know, I try to try to do things right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, I get we got to thank Huntworth for uh, for this connection here. So I would like to hear uh, hear your perspective on the on the new line of gear and your thoughts on it and and, uh, sort of the setup you use for mid and late season.
0: Yeah, I I love the Huntworth stuff for a lot of reasons and not just because they're a sponsor of my TV show, which I'm really proud of. Um, And one of the main reasons to start with the very first thing is the thing you see right away, which is they have they have more than two camel patterns, but they have two in particular that are just absolutely they're awesome patterns and they really, really, really work and they look good. You know what I mean? So not only are they effective, but they're sexy, they're sexy patterns and they have the one pattern called disruption, which is kind of a, um, a technical um, digital style pattern and they have another one called tarnin. Which is just absolutely awesome and one of the most effective and um, versatile patterns that I've used. And it starts there. They they take a lot of pride in that, and they take a lot of pride in being different like that. But the main reason I love Huntworth so much is because the bang for your buck is unbelievable. What what you get for the price of what you would pay for one jacket <laughs> in with some other brands, you know uh you can get a, for for the price of one jacket with the other brands you can get pants uh a a a sweatshirt a jacket a hat gloves all that stuff and still probably have a few bucks to spare and and it works and it lasts and i've proved it because i'm not you just using this stuff in the white woods i'm using this stuff climbing the mountain for sheep or going to kyrgyzstan for for ibex and sheep i'm beating this stuff to death and and i'm trusting my life with it in certain cases and and i have been consistently impressed by not only the effectiveness of the camel pattern and the gear but also with their with their constant ability to grow and get better every year they come out with cooler garments and more technical stuff and they come out with um and new advances including this new stuff they got called heat boost which is an awesome uh technology where they take graphene uh yarn and they weave it into their pat into their fabrics and it's literally 30 percent warmer um just by having that stuff in there it reflects your heat back in onto you so you i can literally wear less uh you know, in the tree stand when it's really, really cold, wear less bulk and have the same amount of warmth. And it sounds like, like, like a circus trick, unless you've tried it and the stuff, I love it and it works and it's awesome. So anyway, you know, I, I've been consistently impressed with that stuff, especially for the bang for your buck, you know,
1: mm-hmm. everything's expensive it. nowadays. So you gotta, you gotta it find is. that bang for your buck.
0: Yep. Yep, and my favorite part about it now is that, um, you know, I, I've i been wearing the stuff long enough that I love some of these garments, you know, that feeling when you've got stuff that is new, but you're still wearing that one piece of gear that you, you just refuse to let go of, and I keep waiting for it to give out, or a seam to give out, or to, to hold to get worn in it, and it, I've got pieces of Huntworth that I've been wearing now for six, seven seasons, and is you know it's a little worn and the you know it's starting to get a little lighter in the color because it's been washed so many times but it's still just doing its job and I, I love that because man if you can spend that much less and get that much out of it for that long mm-hmm. um pretty great the one thing i'll say about huntworth too they started as a glove company that was kind of their beginning into the outdoor world and i think they make the best hunting gloves on the market um and i know you guys carry a lot shields carries a lot of of their gloves man they have a huge selection of gloves and they and that's their expertise like they they started as a glove company so man if you haven't worn a pair of Huntworth gloves do yourself a favor and you know start there because they may i mean you know how when you're bow hunting you don't almost want to wear any gloves yeah it's hard to find a pair of gloves that that you can really wear and really actually still feel your feel your bow and feel everything they make some gloves right that is the only thing i would ever bow on in even if they didn't sponsor me
1: mm-hmm. you know and you know brutal honesty i i have a pair of huntworth gloves and they're my favorite bow hunting ones in the late season mm-hmm. just for almost exactly what you talked about because what i like to do is is uh, i like to have one of those hand pouches in the front yep and then i'll wear the the lightest pair of gloves possible where I can have my hands out for an extended period of time and still be okay. And I, I don't know the model of these ones, but they yep. have, you know, like they got like that soft inside and you still mm-hmm. have all your hand dexterity and they got a little bit of grip on them and it's just, they, they do have and that sweet spot. And they got the thing
0: spot. on the fingertip where you can use your phone too. I love that. Yeah. yeah.
1: my Mine are yeah, old enough. They fun. don't have, they don't have that, uh, you know, the phone. We got to get you upgraded. Thing, so so. I know. I guess apparently I'm due for an upgrade. So, <laughs>
0: They yeah. make that, uh, they just started making uh, a couple of years ago, uh, one of those, they make a really good hand muff you're talking about, that hand muff you put yep. in front. But they just started making a heated one. Okay. And you put a little battery pack with it. And I started using that a couple of years ago. That thing is a game changer, man.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I'm it's because I'm sure it you is. don't have to screw
0: with the hand warmers anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How many times have we gotten out there and, you know, those things you know, you forgot them or they make a bunch of noise or whatever, uh, that heated hand muff is something else. I love it.
1: Mm-hmm. There's been more times than I can count when I get to the stand and it's like, Oh shoot, I forgot those hand warmers. Now I'm just going to have to deal with it
0: or else uh-huh. you, just,
1: you start digging your, digging your hands a little bit deeper into layers. And then all of a sudden that deer comes out and it's like, ah, crap caught me with my hands yep. down and I can't move. and yep, get busted. Sure. So yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, that makes a ton of sense. So, You know what? I really appreciate all your insight and perspective. And, uh, you you know, it's been an interesting time here. What, uh, you know, what can we expect coming up from you? And uh, what's the best way to follow along with your adventures?
0: Well, the brand new season of Next Wild Ride just started airing on Outdoor Channel. So you can go check that out. It's a whole new season of uh, brand new episodes. I go all over the place from Alaska to Africa to Wisconsin uh, for the wisconsin deer opener I, I, I go to california and, and hunt blacktail deer in, the, in a vineyard I, I do all sorts of really fun stuff and of course i'm running all over and doing crazy stuff besides the hunting as well so that's all uh right now monday nights on outdoor channel so it's a uh, part of the taste of the wild block which is myself and steve ranella and meat eater and um there's a, a a fairly new show in there called Man Eats Wild that is really, really cool. Um, the Sporting Chef's on there, and uh, there's uh, a couple other shows as well. So it's a really neat – it's called Taste of the Wild, and it's just shows featured around that kind of field to table and, uh, you know, kind of cultural side of hunting. And it's a really cool block of programming on Monday nights, and I'm just so proud to be a part of it. It's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. And you again. asked about, uh, oh. you asked about online too. It's a uh, Nick's wild ride on everything. So at Nick's wild ride on Instagram, Facebook, Nick's on the, on the web. And that's it. There you go. There's your pitch.
1: All right. Perfect. We'll make sure to <laughs> link all that stuff in our description. And again, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. And, uh, you know, best of luck on all your adventures. We'll I'll, I'll be following along with your wild ride
0: yeah man same to you good luck in the badlands and to everybody that's listening and have a great season be safe and uh uh you know good luck thank you for listening to the shields outdoors podcast Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages. Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.